Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us for our service online today. Very special day it is. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there today. Uh, if your mother is still living and not with you, I hope you'll at least have a chance to call or FaceTime with her today. On this special day, we are also going to celebrate communion, the Lord's Supper. So um, if you've got some bread in the house or some juice, if you've got one of our little prepackaged cups from the uh, church this week, you might want to have that at hand. And in about 25 minutes or so, we will take communion together, the Lord's Supper. This morning, we continue our one-story series by looking at the very beautiful book of Psalms. Book of Psalms is unlike any other biblical book in that it uh, was written by several different authors and composed over quite a long, long period of time. King David wrote half or more of the Psalms, uh, but other authors of the Psalms included a, a man named Asaph, who was apparently a temple worship leader, a group of worshipers called the Sons of Korah, and most of the Psalms date from about the time of King David, about a thousand years before Christ. Uh, but a few later Psalms, even near the time of Ezra, about 450 BC. There's even one Psalm that is attributed to Moses, who lived centuries before David, Psalm 90. And so, altogether, the Psalms were written over a period of perhaps close to a thousand years. The book of Psalms is the Old Testament book that is most often quoted in the New Testament with many, many verses that point us to Jesus. In fact, the book of Psalms fits so well into the one-story theme of God's plan of redemption that we, we couldn't possibly look at all the verses that point to Jesus coming in one sermon. In the Psalms, we find verses that point to Jesus' crucifixion, his words on the cross, uh, psalms point to his resurrection, and uh, psalms point to his deity, his being God in the flesh. There are different types of psalms in the book of Psalms. There are psalms that are hymns of praise, hymns of thanksgiving. A number of the psalms are considered laments. That is, the psalmist, the psalm writer, is complaining to God about his present circumstances. The Psalms teach us how to communicate with God. If you're wondering, how can I develop or improve my prayer life? I think the first book of the Bible I would point you to would be the book of Psalms, because many of the Psalms are prayers, and the Psalms give us a vocabulary for communicating with God. Uh, the Psalms teach us how to sing to God, how to praise God, how to worship God. Yes, even how to complain to God. A fourth century theologian named Athanasius said, most of scripture speaks to us, the Psalms speak for us. The Psalms give us a, a vocabulary for our own prayer life, for our own communication with God. As we look at the whole book of Psalms, 150 Psalms, there's one that stands out to us as undoubtedly the best-known psalm of all time, and that is the 23rd Psalm. Psalm 23 was written by King David, which means it was written approximately 
3,000 years ago. Now think about that for a moment. 30 centuries ago, the psalm we're looking at today was written by King David, and yet it still speaks so powerfully, so beautifully to people in their life circumstances today. In times of grief, I don't know of a passage in the Bible that people turn to more often than they do Psalm 23. Psalm 23 may be, I expect it is, the most memorized chapter of the Bible. I expect many of you could quote the 23rd Psalm this morning. But it can be easy to be so familiar with the passage of Scripture that we neglect the meaning that's intended there to enrich our souls, to teach us and guide us and help, God, help us to know God better and love Him more. So this morning I'd like to explore the 23rd Psalm, this very, very familiar psalm that Ali read for us just a moment ago. The psalm begins with King David writing, The Lord, Yahweh, is my shepherd. Now, when David uses the word that in our English Bibles is the Lord, he's using the word Jehovah or Yahweh. The, uh, this is the name that God gave himself when he revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush. Moses had asked God, what's your name? Who shall I tell the Israelites has sent me? God said, tell them, I am sent you, Yahweh. The name literally means I am that I am. God is the self-existent one, the name given to Moses. Yahweh is not only the self-existent one, but he's also a shepherd. This is David's perhaps most personal reference to God so far in the scripture. Thus far in the book of Psalms, King David has called God my shield, my rock, my fortress, my stronghold, my deliverer. Now my shepherd. Shepherd is more personal than my stronghold, my rock. And that's because a shepherd uh, lives with his sheep. A shepherd is everything to his sheep. And that's important because sheep tend to stray. Sheep are known to be rather dumb animals who tend to stray away if not reined in by a shepherd. That's why the, the prophet Isaiah, when he was writing about our sins, says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. But David writes that Yahweh is not just a shepherd. He's not just the shepherd of the nation of Israel. Yahweh, the Lord Jehovah, is my shepherd. He personalizes it. Jesus made a very clear connection to this phrase, to this psalm, when he said in the Gospel of John, I am the good shepherd. And the image of a shepherd becomes associated with Jesus throughout the New Testament. And we'll look further at that this morning, but David begins this beautiful psalm, the Lord, Yahweh, is my shepherd. He goes on to teach us about our shepherd when he says, he leads me beside still waters and in right paths. It is the nature of a shepherd to lead just as it is the nature of a sheep to follow. And David writes, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. 
Now, I understand that sheep are afraid of moving water, that especially rapidly moving water, and that's understandable because we think of the heavy coat of fleece or fur on a sheep. If it got wet, it would pull them right under the water. So shepherds are known when there's moving water to uh, take a stick or their shepherd's staff, maybe move a few rocks and carve out a little space on the bank of a creek or stream and make a, a, a little pool, a little place of still water where the sheep can come and drink as they, as they care for their sheep. He leads me beside still waters. David also says he leads me in paths of righteousness or he leads me in right paths. Throughout Scripture, Old and New Testament, we see the work of God for His people as leading, whether it's leading the Israelites out of bondage or leading followers of Jesus Christ today. Elsewhere in the Psalms, God said, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Jesus told those of us who are Christians, when the Holy Spirit comes, He will guide you into all the truth. God leads His people. Jesus, in referring to himself as the good shepherd, said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. That's one of the best ways to uh, kind of assess where you are spiritually. If you're wondering if you really are a Christian, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice. We hear his voice speaking to us in Scripture, in the Word, and we not only hear his voice, but we follow, we obey his voice. Jesus, the good shepherd, made it possible for us to hear his voice and to follow him by himself coming to this earth and becoming like his sheep. In fact, Jesus is referred to in Scripture as the Lamb of God. He's described as being like a sheep that was led to the slaughter. This is referring to the giving of his life on the cross. And when Jesus died there and shed his blood and bore the judgment for our sins and then was raised from the dead, he made it possible for us to become part of his flock by our faith in him. And through that relationship with him, his Holy Spirit indwells us so that he now guides us in life. Jesus not only makes us one of his sheep, but he gives us the ability to hear his voice and follow him by the presence of his own spirit within. So indeed, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Is the nature of a shepherd to lead and of a sheep to follow? You know, in our world today, and this is certainly true among pastors, I'm sure it's true in every area of, of business and medicine and all professions, there's so much talk about leadership. The Christian life is largely about followership, largely about following Jesus Christ, who said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. David tells us that Yahweh, the Lord our shepherd, leads us. He leads us beside still waters and in green pastures. Furthermore, David teaches us that he restores my soul. Notice again the verses we saw a moment ago, verses 2 and 3 of the 23rd Psalm. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Notice that the, the restoration of the soul falls between these two other statements. 
it reminds us that a restored soul is one that is led in right paths, paths of righteousness. Now, the word restores here that David uses in uh, verse, uh, the, uh, this section of the psalm is the same word that's used in Psalm 19 in verse 7, where we read, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. So the restoration being spoken of in Psalm 23 here has to do with spiritual revival, spiritual renewal, spiritual restoration. God's care for our souls, of course, includes our salvation. That's first and that's foremost. But his care for our souls goes beyond our experience of salvation. There is an ongoing rest and reviving and renewing in God's presence for those who are his sheep. And I don't know about you, but I am so very grateful that that is the case. Jesus spoke to this in the Gospel of Matthew when he said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Isn't that a beautiful phrase? Jesus says of himself, I'm gentle, and I'm I'm lowly of heart, I'm humble. And because of that, in my presence, you will find rest, restoration, renewal, revival, wholeness for your souls. Jesus frees us from the need to earn or deserve our salvation by law-keeping or rule-keeping. He takes that heavy burden away. He gives his salvation freely to those who come by faith. But he does more. The Apostle Peter referred to Jesus as the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Jesus not only brings us into his flock in our salvation experience, but he oversees the well-being of our souls throughout life. The Lord is the restorer of the soul. As I was thinking about um, our time this morning, I expect that there are many of you who feel like, uh, you know, you know you're a Christian, but you need soul restoration this morning. I know just from talking to people that many probably feel lonely and isolated. I talked to a person yesterday who's in a retirement place who feels kind of like uh, they're in a cage. They can't even leave their room. Their meals are brought to them there and they can't interact with other people and they feel lonely and they feel isolated. I'm sure some of you are at home and uh, some uh, perhaps are, are moms who normally work outside the home, but now you're having to work at home And not only that, you've got young kids that you're managing and watching and caring for at home. And not only that, you're supposed to be teaching them. And so you're really trying to do three jobs instead of just one. And you have stress overload. I'd like to take a moment this morning and just pray for the work of the Holy Spirit. This work, this work of restoring the soul, especially in the lives of those who feel they're in great need this morning. Would you join me now as we pray together? Father, we come in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is the great shepherd of the sheep, the good shepherd, the one who is called the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Lord, would you by your Holy Spirit 
bring restoration this morning to every soul that needs your healing, encouraging, reviving, renewing touch. Would you rekindle our first love by the power of the Holy Spirit? Would you teach us to draw upon your grace and power and wisdom for the circumstances we're in right now? Would you teach us to receive our strength from you and to be filled with the Holy Spirit in every good and perfect gift you have for our lives? Let us abide in you and in your peace, Lord, in the name of Jesus. David says that the Lord my shepherd is also the restorer of my soul. David goes on to say that he, that is you, are with me. In verse 4, there is a slight transition in the pronoun Jews. So far, David has been referring to God as he. He leads me uh, to green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Now he changes in verse 4 when we read. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. He doesn't say for he is with me. He says for you, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. God is still leading. He leads by still waters, yes. He leads in righteous paths, yes. But sometimes he leads through valleys that are dark valleys. But he doesn't leave us. If Psalm 23 is the best-known psalm in the Bible, and I think it is, this may be the best-known verse. And this may be the verse that people find most comfort in because of this little phrase, for you are with me. It's the presence of God in the most difficult things of life that makes this a comforting, incredibly comforting verse. And David, as he notes God's presence, uses a couple of shepherd images. He refers to your rod and your staff. Now, I've got a rod here this morning, a replica of a rod. And let me just tell you, it is incredibly heavy. Heavy enough, no doubt, to crush the, the skull of a predator, if need be. And the rod is... Uh, a symbol, I think, of protection the shepherd provides for the sheep. And David says, your rod and staff, they comfort me. And the staff is a more typical shepherd's emblem. The staff, while the rod might be associated with protection, the staff would be more associated with care. Staff might be used to nudge a newborn that uh, needs to be brought to nurse its Mother, it might be used to pull a sheep out of a, uh, out of a tough place, a crevice or a bush or something. David is saying that you are with me and you're my protector and you're my caregiver. And your rod and staff, well, they bring me comfort. They comfort me. God's presence to care for and protect. I'm reminded also of Jesus, the good shepherd here, who said to his followers, I am always with you. I'm always with you. Then David goes on to teach, verses 5 and 6 of the psalm, that he, the Lord my shepherd, also provides for me. And again, he uses this second person pronoun you. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. 
You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Now, King David was a warrior. He was a warrior throughout his life. He was a warrior as a young man when he killed Goliath. He was still uh, involved in battles much later in life, even after he had grown children. So David had many enemies, and that's obvious if you read the book of Psalms because so many of the Psalms talk about his enemies that are out to, uh, to take his life. But the image here in verse 5 is that in, even in the presence of my enemies, God is my provider. God, in fact, is, is pictured here as laying out a table as a thoughtful, welcoming host, even in the presence of my enemies. And it's an image of trust in God, in faith, and in his care, and in his goodness. A few moments ago, uh, Christina sang uh, a song about this verse, the goodness of God following us throughout life. David goes on to say, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The word used for mercy here is a word, is a, it comes from a Hebrew word, hesed. Sometimes it's translated steadfast love, and it's rich in meaning. It has to do with the covenant, faithful, loyal love of God for his own people. And David is saying, your goodness and that loyal love, that steadfast love, that love that does not forsake me, it follows me all the days of my life. Because of what Jesus has done on the cross, this same hesed, mercy, steadfast love, is provided for those who have received his great gift, his saving gift through Jesus. David says, as a result of this, I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This verse reminds me a bit of John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life, everlasting life. Because Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, came to this earth, as a sheep and took our place and provided our salvation. We can know the Lord as the one who guides us throughout life. We can know him as the restorer of the soul. We can know him as the one who never leaves us. As Jesus said, I am with you always. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. We can know him as the one who provides for us even in the presence of our enemies the one who walks with us even through the dark valleys of life. And then we know him as the one who receives us uh, at the door of death whenever we come to that point. As he said to his own followers before he went to the cross, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place to you, I will come again, and I'll receive you to myself that where I am, you may also be. This morning, we're going to reflect on what Jesus, the great shepherd, did for us in the giving of his life on the cross as we celebrate communion, the Lord's Supper. And uh, this would be a good time if you got one of those little packets from our church to pick it up, or if you've got a, a piece of bread in your house or some juice handy. If you'd like to uh, partake with us, we'd invite you to do that. 
But first, I'd like to read some words from the Apostle Paul, found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 28. The Apostle Paul wrote, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. If you choose to take communion with us in just a moment, that's exactly what you're doing. You're proclaiming that you have actually received what the Lord did on the cross for you. Often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you're proclaiming the Lord's death and that its benefits have been applied to your life. It's one of the ways to remember what he's done until he returns. The Apostle Paul then gives a bit of a warning when he says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. What he's talking about here, I think, is the seriousness of this holy thing, the sacrament we call the Lord's Supper, and making sure that we not only understand why we're doing it, but that we ourselves have received the benefits of what it represents, the giving of Jesus' life on the cross. Now, if you're not sure this morning whether you are truly a Christian, I can't think of a better time to Definitely put your faith in Jesus as your Savior and Lord than this time when we take communion so that when you take of the bread and drink of the cup, you are doing so sincerely. So I'd like to take a moment now and provide a prayer for those who may not be sure about their own salvation and then uh, pray for those of us who are Christians to be sure we take this in the right way and I'll, I'll give a few moments of silence for that. So would you join me now? Father, we come in the name of Jesus, our Lord. First, I want to pray for anyone watching with us who may not be sure about his or her salvation. And I would just say to you, if that's you, if you are indeed ready and willing to follow Jesus, if you believe in your heart he died on the cross and that God raised him from the dead to provide forgiveness of your sins, I'd invite you to simply say a prayer like this, Dear God, I do believe Jesus died on the cross and was raised from the dead to be my Savior. Lord, I turn from my sin and I turn to you. I receive your salvation. Enable me to follow you all the days of my life. Now, Father, for those of us who are believers, would you speak to us regarding any sin we need to confess so that we take this rightly before you now? Amen. Now, if you're joining us in celebrating the Lord's Supper, if you would now take 
the bread. I'll give you just a moment, and then we'll all take it together at the same moment. All right, if you've got the bread, the body of Christ given for you. In the same way, Jesus took the cup, saying this cup is a new covenant in my blood. So if you'll take the juice or the little prepackaged cup you have now, we'll take that together. The blood of Jesus shed for you. And now, before we sing, would you join me in saying together, if you know it, the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen.